All right. So we are in Isaiah 29. I have to say a couple of things real quick. We had two outstanding examples of God's work in the earth this week. We had Chris and Chelsea got married. Truly amazing. I love that. There, there is this image of Christ in the church being like husband and wife. And um, that, that's an amazing image. And the other image that we have is uh, Jet Anthony this morning. Yeah, exactly, right? That is awesome. Because of adoption. And we are all adopted into God's family in the same way. And so we have this image this morning as well. So that, that is just so amazing to me. And I love it. I love it. Let me open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, our God, how amazing and awesome you are, Lord. How wonderful. We read of your power and your might over the universe. And we look at how insignificant we are. But at the same time, Lord, we have these examples. Lord, we lift up Chris and Chelsea to you and Jed Anthony this morning as examples of your love, of the love that you show for us. We are overcome by the kindness of your love. And we know that even the greatest things that we can imagine are just figments of how you really are. Heavenly Father, how deep is your mystery? And how little is our understanding? The model of your love for us. Lord, this is the way we were meant to live as modeling after you of Jesus and his church and of our adoption into the family of God. Lord Jesus, how awesome you are. We are lost without you. Remind us so that we do not fall short this morning. Let us not follow after our hearts, but to you and to you only to follow and open our hearts. Lord, give us wisdom to heed the words of your prophet Isaiah this morning to understand them. And give us discernment, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in chapter 29 of Isaiah. We're going to do almost the whole chapter, um, verses 1 through 21. The last three verses of this chapter actually are the beginning of the song that goes into chapter 30. So we're going to leave that for next week. So we're looking at this song by Isaiah, and this one is a song of the siege of Jerusalem. And you would think that this would be an incredibly sad song, but there are pieces in here that are the hope and the promise of God. And you'll see those when they go by. We're going to talk about each one of those. So this song speaks to the righteousness of God, and it speaks to the people of God 
of the wicked and of God's protection. And in the end, redemption and resurrection. So let's go ahead and start. So verse 1, the siege of Jerusalem. Now I'm reading out of the ESV. Many of the other translations translate the beginning here slightly differently. But the ESV says, Ah, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David encamped. Add year to year, let the feast runs their round. Run their round. The name Ariel here is used for Jerusalem. Ariel is held to be an angel in ancient Hebrew tradition. Quite literally, the name Ariel means Lion of God. The ah at the beginning could also be interpreted as woe, as a warning. Not a a warning as in avoid this, but more a warning of be aware that this is about to happen to you. And we know that this is Jerusalem because it is referred to as the city where King David had camped. The name Ariel only occurs three times in the whole Bible. And we're going to see all three of those today here in chapter 29. We know that the people of the city are unaware of what is about to happen. As is given by the add year to year, let the feast run their round. The day-to-day normality continues. Service for the sake of tradition. The feasts are only empty rituals and nothing more. And none of it is to the service of God. Zechariah 12, 1 and 2. Zechariah 12, 1 and 2. It speaks to this. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering for all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. So verse 2, back in Isaiah. Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be moaning and lamentation, and she shall be to me like an Ariel. God says he will cause distress to Ariel, the city, that there shall be moaning and lament laid upon the people of the city. God still loves his people, and that they shall remain an Ariel to him. But there is much to lament here. In verse 3, And I will encamp against you all around, and I will besiege you with towers, and I will raise siege works against you. This siege of Jerusalem happened in 701 BC. The towers and siege works are ancient tools of war against the walls that protect cities. Towers were mobile devices that they would roll up to the walls for the the archers to get up above the wall and be able to shoot down into the city. Siege works are stone ramps that they would build up on the sides so that the armies could invade over the walls of the city. So siege works were fixed. Towers were meant to be moved. That's the distinction between the two. Verse 4, and you will be brought low. From the earth you shall speak, and from the dust your speech will be bowed down. 
Your voice shall come from the ground like the voice of a ghost, and from the dust your speech shall whisper. All of the people of Judah are brought low. The mention of their voices coming up from below as a whisper from the dust is an image of submission that all of the people of Judah should be bowed down in subjugation to the invaders. In verse 5, But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. And in, in an instant, suddenly, this punishment is only for a time. God promises redemption and salvation. The Lord promises salvation here, in an instant, suddenly. Zechariah 12, 7 and 9. Zechariah 12, 7 through 9. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day... I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Do you see Jesus here? Multiple times. The house of David, the angel of the Lord going before them. And all of this happens on the day at which God's kingdom comes down. On that day, three times in that passage by Zechariah. On that day the day of the Lord. Verse 6. You will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a devouring fire. God's people will be visited by the Lord. This is Jesus. This is both when Jesus came and lived amongst us, but obviously it also talks to when Jesus comes again in that day, the day of the Lord. Zechariah 12.10, continuing on in that same passage out of Zechariah. Zechariah 12.10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that When they look on me, on him, who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. So this image is clearly Jesus, without question. Zechariah and Isaiah are both pointing at Jesus right here. This image, obviously, then, is not just for the people of Judah, This image is for us, that we should be understanding when we have these things that are happening in our lives that do not go our way, that that's not just something that's randomly happening. God has a plan. There is something that's going on. 
continuing on in Isaiah, verse 8. As when a hungry man dreams, and behold, he is eating, and awakes with his hunger not satisfied. Or as when a thirsty man dreams, and behold, he is drinking, and awakes faint, with his thirst not quenched. So shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. Here, Isaiah says that the powers that oppose God's people shall be under the wrath of God. God has pronounced judgment against those. And none of these exist today. None of these powers still exist today. Judah still exists. God's people still exist. But none of the opponents of Judah from that time exist today. Continuing on in Isaiah, verse 9. Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. There is not a literal drunkenness here, but it is one of deep spiritual stupor. The continual practice of tradition and not of deep personal commitment to following God. This entire passage is speaking of the practice of religion, but not the actual intent or the meaning of religion, which is to worship God. In verse 10, this becomes obvious. Isaiah 29, 10. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. This verse is repeated in the next two verses as well, allegorically. But here, Isaiah tells us literally the meaning of the message, that Judah is in a deep torpor and unable to fully wake, coming out of their deep sleep. Their state is so suppressed that their eyes have been closed and their heads covered. They cannot see, they cannot understand. Isaiah tells us this is the silencing of the prophets, and there are no visions from the seers. This is both the 400 years of silence, but it is also a warning to us, for us to remain vigilant and to continually seek after Jesus, waiting for his coming on that day. In verses 11 and 12. And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And then they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this. And he says, I cannot read. The one who can read are the prophets again. And the one who cannot read the book because they cannot read are the seers. The message and his promise are both there, but they cannot be seen and they cannot be heard. Again, this is both the 400 years of silence. And it remains an admonition to us today. Be vigilant. Wait on the Lord. Watch. Continue to be vigilant for the day of the Lord. Verse 13. 
And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Verse 13. This verse, again, is directly applied to the leaders of Judah and remains a warning for us also. But there is one other place where this exact same passage exists in the Bible. Matthew 15, 1 through 9. Matthew 15, 1 through 9. Traditions and commandments. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy to you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus quotes Isaiah directly right here. Because of the inability of the Pharisees to see and know and understand what Jesus is trying to tell us. They are reducing God's commands to mere rules of men. And this is repugnant to God. Verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. God promises to do amazing things to his people. The word that gets used here, wonder, and wonder upon wonder, has a very negative connotation, that there's a punishment associated with this. The counsel of the people of decision is worthless and comes to nothing. God tells us we are not to waste our time listening to them or to discuss their ideas. This is so much in Lamentations and in Ecclesiastes, it uses the word dissipation, and that applies in this case. Lamentations 2, 1 and 2. Lamentations 2, 1 and 2. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. 
verse 15. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord, your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, who sees us? Who knows us? There it is again, the ah, which is also woe. Those who hide their deeds, thinking that God will not see. Such is pride, the pride of man, that God will not know what it is we do. Verse 16. You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? That the thing should say of its maker, he did not make me. Or the thing formed of him who formed it, he has no understanding. People regard their comfort and their whims to be above God. And this is folly indeed. This analogy of our being clay is used many times. I found 14 instances. I'm only going to give you a couple. So we are to be regarded as the clay in the hands of God. So Lamentations 4.2. Lamentations 4.2. The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. And of course, the famous one, Romans 9, 19 through 21. Romans 9, 19 through 21. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Okay, I've got one more for you. Three. 2 Corinthians 4 7. 2 Corinthians 4 7. And this is the one I always refer to as we are the crackpots. Treasures in jars of clay. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It is God's right to use us as He requires to fit into the universe as he sees fit. And even in our weakness and our failure, God uses us for his purpose. This is why we have Jesus, to show the love and the grace and the power of our God. Verse 17. It is not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest. Lebanon is a mountainous country. It was covered in forests. And for it to be described as a field is completely counter to what the, the people know at that time. God presents us with the enigma of the mountains becoming fields and the fields becoming forests and mountains. Verse 18. In that day the deaf shall hear, 
the words of a book. Out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. In that day, this is both a call for Judah to watch for the Son of God, who is to come and make the pathway straight so that the deaf hear and the blind see. It is also a call for us to be vigilant and to watch for the coming day of the Lord in that day. Verse 19, again, so clear that this is Jesus. Verse 19, the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. Again, how this is a prophecy of the coming of Jesus. The meek of heart shall receive the blessings of God, and the poor inherit the riches of God's kingdom. And finally, Isaiah summarizes. For the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffer cease, and all who watch to do evil shall be cut off. Who by a word make a man out to be an offender, and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate. And with an empty plea turn aside him who is in the right. Verse 20 and 21. How easy it is for us to just turn away. We focus on the wrong things in the here and now. Who is the celebrity that is the latest in thing to follow? Who is wrong on the evening news that those people shouldn't be saying those things? What is the latest injustice we have to be outraged over? And how we fail to not reach out to the poor and the weak, and we fail to help the needy. God sees. God knows. This ends our passage today. So the questions are, are we listening to God? Are we worshiping God, or are we simply following tradition? We've always done it this way. Or are we seeing and hearing anew God's calling to us every day? We get up. Do our feet hit the floor running for Jesus? Or do we drag ourselves out, dreading the drudgery for our day? What is the song that is in our hearts? Isaiah here sings a song of redemption. How God will redeem Israel and bring all of God's people to his holy mountain to worship him. This is the promise that God will be there for us in the end to redeem us. God is the only one who can save. Jesus is there calling to us. Jesus had to pay for our rebellion against God, our sin, our unfaithfulness. Jesus takes our guilt away. And it is our sin that is atoned for by Jesus' death on the cross. Isaiah is pointing us back towards God. Look at Jesus. Isaiah is telling us to change the way we live in the world. Isaiah wants us to be more Christ-like. How well are we doing this? 
Are we aware of the forces of right and wrong in our culture, that political sea? Or are we paying attention to Christ? Are we becoming more like him by looking to God and looking to Jesus? And of course, the more we look to Jesus, the more we become like him. God loves us all. I look at the chaos in the world today. I hear it on the evening news every day. And I think about how I fail God continually. God knows I'm not where I need to be yet. Again and again, I'm on my knees before God. And I keep trying to rely on the world. And I read this, and I realize that I need to listen to Jesus more. I need God's power of forgiveness still. And despite all our failings, God still continues to choose us. God's greatness will be there for all to see on the day of the Lord. And we will all witness his greatness and his splendor on that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so great. And we are so incredibly small. Lord, you've kept your words spoken by Isaiah, written down all these years on scrolls, hidden in clay jars, literal clay jars, and in the clay jars that are us, in some of us, hidden in our hearts. Lord, we have been unfaithful. We keep trying to do something to save ourselves, to earn our redemption. We look to Egypt. We look to the world. We look to Babylon. And you want us to hear you in Isaiah's words. You continue to hold us in the palm of your hand and cover us. And you lovingly guide us and care for us. Heavenly Father, hide your word in our hearts. We read the words of your prophet Isaiah. And we see the examples of how to live a life chasing after you. Of Chris and Chelsea and of the gullies. Heavenly Father, guide us in your perfect path. Your plan of redemption is so amazing. It is not smooth. And we know that. And Lord, we keep trying to smooth it out. But you intend the rocks to be rough. Jesus, you died in our place to redeem us, to save us. You are so amazing, and we love you so much. We bless and honor you, and we praise the name above all names, the name of Jesus.